Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Well, good afternoon, Alberta. Welcome to this hour of the program. Rob Brigginridge with you. Thank you for being with us here on this Wednesday afternoon. Plenty of ground to cover over the course of this hour. Your phone calls as well. As we head into what appears to be a seventh wave of this pandemic, it's pretty clear that COVID-19 or more specifically SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID-19, is here to stay. But it is still a question worth asking and a question worth trying to answer. Where did this virus come from? How did it spill over into the human population? What sparked this pandemic? We can't undo what's been done. We can try to learn from this, obviously, and prevent this sort of thing from ever happening again. But it's a question we can never answer. Will we, can we ever know for sure where this virus came from? It does appear as though the evidence is pretty clear that this pandemic originated in the city of Wuhan in China. You know, theories that maybe this virus had been circulating elsewhere earlier, that seems to have gone nowhere. Uh, So Wuhan uh, brings us two different scenarios, which has led to two different theories, basically. We have in Wuhan the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Some have wondered or posited whether this was some kind of a lab leak. There's also in Wuhan a seafood wholesale market, a market, a wet market as they're known, where live animals were being sold, the kinds of animals where zoonotic spillover uh, is not just reasonable, maybe even likely in some cases. Well, some new research published in the journal Science that makes a pretty compelling case that the wholesale market, the seafood wholesale market in, in Wuhan was the likely epicenter of this pandemic that there was zoonotic spillover on at least two occasions where this virus crossed over from animals into humans. So how do we know that? And where does this all go from here? Joining us to talk about this research, uh, one of the uh, scientists involved, Dr. Angela Rasmussen, a virologist with the Vaccine and Infectious Disease Organization at the University of Saskatchewan. Dr. Rasmussen, great to have you with us here. Welcome to the program. Thanks so much for having me, Rob. Let me get your thoughts. And you've seen firsthand how passionate, emotional at some level this debate has been and this this very question. Why is it important in your mind uh, that we try to get to the bottom of this as best we can? I think there's really two reasons why it's important to get to the bottom of this. And the first is something I think everybody can relate to. This was, you know, an incredibly traumatic uh, collective global event that we've all gone through and are still going through. And we really deserve to know how it started. And the second reason, of course, is to understand how this pandemic started so we could potentially prevent one from happening in the future. If we don't do anything to to change the, the risks that um, these novel coronaviruses pose to us, if we don't understand how they make the jump into the human population, then we really can't do anything about that. And we're really sitting ducks for the next SARS coronavirus three. How close to 100% can we get? I mean, you know, the idea of a smoking gun, whether it be finding the animal uh, in question, if, if that's where this came from, or, you know, the lab leak theory, finding some kind of documentation or something. I mean, is, is it reasonable to think that we can never get 100% certainty on this? Well, most of the time during origin investigations, you certainly don't have 100% certainty. Mm -hmm. There's rarely some kind of documented sample that was taken right at the right time or some kind of documentation that would show, um, you know, 
this this virus emerged in this way in this person and spread with these particular set of circumstances. And so that's what my collaborators and I really set out to do with this work was to get as close to that 100% mark as we possibly could with the evidence that we have on hand. Right. And it seems we're pretty close. I mean, this does seem like compelling evidence, obviously. Now, you know, there, there is that question I guess we can start with where we know a lot of the cases and initial cases were concentrated very closely uh, around this market. How do we differentiate the notion that people became infected at the market versus, you know, somebody who was infected elsewhere went to that market? Yeah, so that's a great question, and that's uh, one of the first things that we set out to do in our analysis. So the early cases that were confirmed by the World Health Organization were located um, disproportionately around the market because they knew that that people who had been to the market were getting it, and so uh, there there was sampling done of those people. But there were also a lot of early cases that weren't associated with the market in any way. When we mapped those cases uh, to the, the places where they lived, we saw that they were clustered primarily around the market. And then we um, decided to, to go ahead and start applying some statistical tests to that. And what we found was that it was not a coincidence. It was statistically significant that they were all clustered around the market um, to the point where if you, if you took any other place in Wuhan and you said maybe this is the place, um, how likely would that be? It's, it's one in a hundred thousand that you would see that same pattern if the, the virus had started at any pl- other place besides the, the Wanan market. So what we have here is essentially these case clusters around the market, whether they were associated with a trip to the market or not, um, with the market really right in the dead center. It's almost like a bullseye on a dartboard. And that is really indicative of a pattern of spread outwards from that central point, which again is the one in seafood market. Another thing I've been finding in all of this is that there were two lineages of this virus very early on. So does, does that, is that explained by two separate zoonotic spillover events? Yes, so it is. Um, And this is something that I think was really um, one of the biggest, most important pieces of evidence that to us really made the market um, really the only scenario that all of the evidence can explain. So there were, as you mentioned, two lineages. And early on, we thought that most of the market cases were associated with what's called lineage B. Now, these two lineages are actually pretty similar to each other. They're um, genetically distinct, but only by two mutations. So um, they're, they're very similar. They diverged from each other very recently, um, but they are different. Um, and so that means that basically if there was just lineage B at the market, that would suggest that, yeah, it could have potentially been a super spreader event. We don't know where lineage A came from. But a preprint came out in February from the China CDC that showed that, in fact, an environmental sample taken at the market was actually lineage A as well as lineage B. So that put both of those lineages at the market. And some of my colleagues who wrote a companion paper did some phylogenetic evidence, and they traced essentially back when these viruses would have emerged. And what we determined was they had to have emerged into the human population within about a week or a week or two weeks of each other. So that would mean that if this were a lab leak, for example, or if it had started anywhere and Wannan was just a super spreader event, it would have meant essentially that somebody would have had to get infected with lineage B someplace else, 
come straight to the market without infecting anybody else or causing any spread on their way to the market. And then about a week later, somebody would have had to do the same thing completely independently with lineage A. And that just doesn't really make a lot of sense. I suppose that it's technically possible, but it really is uh, akin to lightning striking twice at the Wannan market. Um, a much simpler explanation is that lineage B uh, first spilled over into humans at the market, and then about a week later, lineage A did as well. But, I mean, if, if these viruses came from bats uh, initially and they were not selling bats at this market, uh, what, what do we believe then was, was the host for this virus that, that made the zoonotic spillover? So that's also a great question. Now, if we look back at the SARS classic uh, epidemic that occurred in the early 2000s, we know that there were intermediate species involved, and specifically then it was palm civets and raccoon dogs, um, which were being sold uh, at the markets in Foshan and Guangzhou, uh, elsewhere in China, but also about a thousand kilometers away from where the bats that carry these coronaviruses are known to live. So there's, a, there's still a big distance between these intermediate species and the bats, and that question has been raised about Wuhan as well. Now, we know at the Wanan Seafood Market, and this is another key piece of evidence, that in November and December of 2019, some of those same susceptible species were being sold live at the market, including raccoon dogs, uh, including red foxes, both of which are known to be susceptible to SARS coronavirus 2, as well as a number of other mammals that are thought to be um, likely to be susceptible to SARS coronavirus 2, and that's actually something that my lab is testing. Um, but we know that these animals were being sold. We knew that uh, these animals were being brought to the market from somewhere else. What we don't know is where they were being brought from. But just one more thing here is that uh, even though the bats, again, live in southern China and Laos that have the closest relatives of SARS coronaviruses, in the early 2000s, they actually found SARS-related coronaviruses infecting uh, farmed masked palm civets that were in Hubei province right outside of Wuhan. So it's very conceivable that some of these intermediate species do have transmission of this family of viruses uh, that, that is really undetected and not being surveilled. And that's another big question mark that I think we really do need to look into in the future. In terms of whether it puts the question to rest uh, or, or you know, in some way resolves the debate that we can move forward, I mean, even if it does, I think there's compelling arguments to be made that we need to do a better job of regulating markets like this and, and how we interact with wildlife, just as maybe we need to review lab safety and protocols and transparency and, and all of that. But what are we to take from this? What are the lessons to be learned here? So I think the lessons to be learned here, um, well, there's, there's a few, yeah. right? So you just said one of them, and that is that we really do need to rethink the way that we are interacting with, with animals. Um, and it's not just wet markets. I know that certainly the wet market uh, business is something that really does need to be better regulated. And a big part of this problem, you know, Rob, is that after the original SARS coronavirus-1 epidemic, um, that was clearly linked to the live animal trade. And the, the Chinese government said that they were going to crack down on this and regulate it and make it safer and more humane. And that didn't happen. Really what happened was this, this animal trade went underground. Um, not very underground, obviously, since these animals were being sold at the market right in the open. 
but uh, it became illegal. And so in the course of becoming illegal, it became less regulated. Um, and it really is an accident essentially waiting to happen if unregulated live animal sales are occurring anywhere in the world. Um, but beyond that, I think it also is important that we think about how we are interacting with animals, especially animals that are raised for purchase or consumption. And, you know, we don't have necessarily wet markets here in Canada, but we do certainly have um, ag agricultural practices that bring people into contact with a number of animals regularly. And we need to make sure that we're doing that as safely as possible in a way that still allows us to, to raise those animals, treat them humanely, and uh, provide for all of our food and production needs as well. Yeah. So I really do think that um, increasing regulation in a smart way that will allow us to continue um, using animals, working with animals, uh, but in a way that is safer for the humans doing it and safer for the animals as well, I think is a really important lesson that we need to take from this. Right. And I think part of maybe what we've learned the last couple of years, too. I mean, it's not just about the viruses that can, can cross from animals to us. It's, you know, us sending those viruses back into animals and creating new reservoir for diseases that are circulating amongst humans. I think that that's a big concern now, isn't it? That's a huge concern, and that actually is also something that my lab is working on. Um, the idea that, you know, if we, for, for example, SARS coronavirus 2, if we are giving it back to animals, which we already know that we are, um, then, then those animals potentially can have transmission among themselves, and, and that can yield new variants that could infect us. It, it can certainly have a devastating ecological impact and impact on those animals. It can also have a significant economic impact if it's in uh, an agriculturally important species. Um, so it really is something that we really need to be thinking about. We call this concept One Health, and it's the idea that human and animal health are inextricably linked. It's something I think really a lot of people should be paying more attention to. Well, some important new research uh, published in the journal Science, as mentioned, science.org. Dr. Rasmussen, thank you so much for joining us here today. Really appreciate the insight on this. Thank you so much for having me, Rob. All the best. Take care. Dr. Angela Rasmussen, a virologist with the Vaccine Infectious Disease Organization at the University of Saskatchewan, a co-author on uh, these studies, as mentioned, published in the journal Science, which they say is pretty compelling evidence uh, that this uh, pandemic essentially uh, began at this wet market in Wuhan and grew from there. We'll take a time out here. We'll come back. Plenty more to get to in this hour. My name is Rob Brick and Reg back with more right after this.